0: Supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen.
1: Presents Spooky South Coast with your hosts Tim Weisberg and Matt
2: Costa. Alright, good evening. Welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with the science advisor Matt Moniz. The silent assassin Matt Costa is not here tonight. He's working late. So uh, I don't think he's going to make it in for the show tonight, Moniz. It's just going to be you and I. Alright. We, I can think do it. we can handle it. Especially since we had last week off from the show. So we have a lot to say. We had a great time last week at Dead of Winter. We'll talk about that coming up in a few minutes. But uh, this is Spooky South Coast where we talk about the paranormal each and every Saturday night. And you can hear us right here on WBSM. You can also watch us streaming video on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com. And Spooky South, i got to say, I'm liking this new design of SpookySouthCoast.com.
1: Yeah, it looks pretty cool.
2: It's easy to use, it's easy to get around. The slideshow feature kind of puts everything right in front of your face. You know, there's not a lot of, uh, not a lot of searching, which is good for me because I know that uh, I can get lost in a website sometimes. It's what they call user-friendly? It definitely is. So, and if you go on to SpookySouthCoast.com, you'll see this week's show tonight. We will be talking with Stephen Bassett of the Paradigm Research Group about the Disclosure Project and about the Disclosure Petition Part 2 of which is uh, currently seeking signatures uh, on the White House website. They were able to get the first one passed through and they got official comment from the White House on the UFO phenomena, the UFO history, what kind of documents the government might have. We'll talk with Steve a little bit about that coming up because, of course, we got the standard response that we expected to get out of the Obama administration. And that's not a political statement. That's just, just every administration yeah. talks about UFOs in this manner. So we'll talk about that with Steve Bassett coming up in just a little while. And we'll also talk about what phase two is now of the disclosure petition and what you can do to help. If you go to SpookySouthCoast.com, one of the slides there is your chance to actually sign the petition, which I did earlier today. It's really simple to do. You just create an account on the WhiteHouse.gov site, and that allows you to sign any petition that pops up. So uh it, it literally took minutes, so if you have a few minutes, go ahead and do that. Spread the word, spread the link around. And uh, you'll also see, too, we have a new slide up there to get the Stitcher podcast, uh, the Stitcher app for your smartphone or for your iPad, where you can hear Spooky South Coast. The latest episode is always available, uh, and it's really easy to use. There's no syncing, there's no downloading. You can just stream it right there on the Stitcher app on whatever device you use it for. It's free, and if you do it, if you download the Stitcher app, if you haven't already... When they ask you how you heard about Stitcher, just put in "spooky sc" as the code and, you, and then go play one of our episodes. You'll automatically be entered to win a one hundred dollar cash card from Stitcher. So not a bad deal. You can actually get paid to listen to Spooky South Coast. Yeah, you can. Which is cool because we don't even get paid to do Spooky South Coast. Huh. So. I wish that I'd actually not already downloaded Stitcher so I, I could be eligible. I don't know. Would that make me eligible? I'm not sure. But you you have a smartphone now, Moniz. Uh, yeah,
1: I'm getting another one from work, too.
2: That's two chances to win. So, <laughs> so there you go. If you win the $100, like give me like 10% of it. Buy me, buy me a pizza or something. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to talk about the paranormal here, as I said, as we do each and every Saturday night. Before we do that, I'm, I'm going to attempt to make a switch here with the iPods as I'm talking, because we're going to do a little segment that we like to do here on the show. And to do that, I have to get the other iPod because I'm not technically savvy enough to have it on both iPods, so here we go, let's see what we can do here,
1: hmm, hold on, I haven't started it yet, oh okay,
0: more well, bad news, well I got a great show for you today, which are wonderful, Ooh yeah.
1: I feel, I feel,
0: so
2: very weird. <laughs> the Week in Weird. All right, well, our first story, this comes out of Arizona from CBS 5 News. And this is a pretty interesting story. They obtained dozens of photos and case files of strange teens and sightings in northeastern Arizona Most police won't take reports like this, but about 10 years ago, officials on the Navajo Reservation decided to stop the snickering and to treat these witnesses with respect and thoroughly investigate. The Navajo Nation Rangers stepped up to the plate, and Retired uh, Retired Lieutenant John Dover explains that the Navajo Nation Rangers are a federal law enforcement resource. They manage national parks, archaeological sites, fish and wildlife services, and, uh, and more as officers of the law, and over the last 10 years, they've investigated paranormal claims, including... A mass flood of lights that floated over the uninhabited reservation land back in January. And uh, they also have done research into the Bigfoot phenomena that's seen around the reservation as well. So it, it, here we have an example. I mean, we always say we want to see law enforcement pay more attention to the paranormal. Here we have one that actually does. Pretty, pretty interesting stuff, Moniz. Yeah,
1: I agree. Uh, I'd love to see some of their uh, official reports.
2: I think what would be really cool too is, is you're getting it not only from a law enforcement perspective but you're getting it from a Native American perspective too. So it's not just paranormal as much as it is there's also their own tribe's legend and lore playing into a lot of the phenomena they're seeing. So what, you know, might be a strange light/UFO slash UFO sighting in, in another part of the country, for that area might be, you know, some sort of folklore tie into it. It'd be no different than, you know, coming here and chasing, you know, chupacabras. But they turn out to be puckwudgies. Yeah. So it's 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 the region's own perspective is put on it. So yeah, I, I definitely think we should we should maybe look into getting a uh, Lieutenant retired Lieutenant John Dover of the Navajo Nation Rangers as a guest on the program. We can talk about some of the cases they've investigated over the years. So if you're listening, Content Director Chris Palzano, <laughs> retired definitely. Lieutenant John Dover. <laughs> we'll work we'll see what we can do about that. Uh, now here's a, speaking of the chupacabra sightings. In a story eerily similar to that of the Chupacabra sightings of Latin America, residents in northern Nambia. N- Am I saying that right? Nambia. Nambi. A lot because they spelled it wrong in the story. Along the southwest coast of Africa are reportedly being terrorized by some kind of strange dog-pig hybrid creature, reports MSNBC. Eyewitness accounts of the alleged beast describe a mostly white animal with dog-like head and a body similar to that of a giant warthog with a broad, round, nearly hairless back and shoulders. The creature is typically spotted attacking domestic animals, such as dogs and goats. And descriptions of the animal sound like some sort of genetic experiment from Moni's Island gone awry. <laughs> but locals have expressed, convinced, uh, expressed confidence that the animal is unlike anything they've ever seen before. So it's not the first time that unknown creatures have been reported in that region. In July of 2009, panic spread after a wave of unusual livestock and goat deaths were reported. Allegedly, at least two dozen ghosts... Uh, ghosts? Ghosts? Goat. Goats and several, you can tell what I have on the mind yeah. and several heads of cattle were found with their blood sucked out. Footprints of an unknown creature with dog-like feet were scattered around the bodies when officials followed the pr- footprints they mysteriously stopped in an open field as if the creature had took off and vanished in midair. So I mean what do you think? Uh, something that's reported as a strange dog-pig hybrid creature
1: uh, It could be something completely new. It may not necessarily be a the combination between a pig and a dog but
2: but I mean this is this is different than the Latin American chupacabra goat sucker yeah. phenomena that we 've heard about heard about in the past because this is in Africa where they have a, a very wide assortment of different animals. is there anything that you can think of on the African continent that would perform a similar action to a chupacabra
1: not with the description of the animal itself that they said to have seen oh, with it. Even
2: you'd, description aside, I mean, something that would literally just suck all the blood out of out of an animal.
1: Well, you have vampire bats that, well, I mean well, South America and Central America and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But I believe they also have bats similar to that in Africa. And there's also a whole host of, you know, other uh, insects that can drain drain blood. But yeah. Not like what they're describing, you know? not yeah, that I'm aware of. The
2: strange dog-pig hybrid creature. So I think I dated her in high school. All right, and finally this week, a 95-year-old grandmother terrified her neighbors in China by climbing out of her coffin six days after she died. She was found motionless and not breathing in bed by her neighbor more than a fortnight. That's two weeks to normal people. <laughs> after, you say? Do you say fortnight? On occasion. You do?
1: Every couple of weeks. That's,
2: that's very, uh, very classical of you. After tripping and suffering a head injury, when she failed to, to wake her up, uh, they assumed that the failed grandmother had passed away in her sleep. Recounting the daily visit, recounting his daily visit to bring the elderly lady breakfast, the neighbor said, "She didn't get up, so I came to wake her up. No matter how hard I pushed her or called her name, she had no reactions. I felt something was wrong, so I tried her breath, and she was gone. But her body was still not cold." So according to tradition, the dead woman was laid out in her coffin ahead of the funeral for friends and relatives to pay their respects. The day before the funeral, the day before she was going to be buried into the ground, she arrived at the neighbor's house to find the coffin empty and the corpse gone. Uh, And as it turned out, she told villagers, I slept for a long time. After waking up, I felt so hungry and wanted to cook something to eat. So I pushed the lid for a long time to climb out. A county hospital reportedly believes that she suffered an artificial death during which the person has no breath, but the body remains warm. So that, that'd be a nice sight to wake up to in the morning, walk out, and your dead grandma's out there cooking you breakfast.
1: That's just plain creepy.
2: Well, the, I mean, I guess the good thing about it is, you know, they, she realized what was going on before they buried her in the ground, so... Yeah. I, uh, a few hours later, it might not have been such a happy ending to that story, but... Hey, I guess that's what happens, uh, you know, when when you have those types of deaths...
1: Or near deaths.
2: Yeah, near deaths. Uh, I, mean, I mean, I'm sure there's probably quite a bit of this happening in other countries where the, the medical system isn't quite as developed as ours, but I, I would think China is pretty advanced in, in some of their their uh, medical capabilities. Even in some smaller villages, they should kind of be able to tell if somebody's dead or not by now.
1: Well, uh, that's something that's happened back in history all the way up until modern times.
2: Well the good thing is though is if if I'm ever, you know, not breathing, you can just be sure that I'm I'm alive. Okay. Okay. I'm just I'm an arcoleptic, so sometimes I, I may appear like I'm dead. And sometimes Moniz appears like he's dead too, but you can tell that he's alive because of the snoring. Yeah. So all right, that does it for this week's edition of the Week in Weird. If you have a short story that you want to share with us, just email it to us, Spooky Crew at spooky dot com, and we'll share it on the program. And uh, it's the news site is going to be rebuilt on spookysouthcoast dot com in the coming weeks, so we'll be able to post these stories up as the weeks go along, so you can read the actual story before we comment them, comment on them here on the show. So why don't we take a few seconds here while we, uh, before we have uh, Steve Bassett on the show, to talk about. The disclosure project and the new petition. Why don't we talk a little bit about Dead of Winter, which was a, a fascinating night, as that was always. A blast!
1: Absolute blast! At the
2: <laughs> board and bed and breakfast, I have to say that uh, the group that we had was outstanding. We had, even though there were some skeptics in the group, you know, they they were cool with what we were doing and they just wanted to kind of uh, watch and observe and and participate.
1: And uh, I believe they left with a, a little bit better understanding of what goes on.
2: Sure, I mean, they might not have necessarily become believers, right, but at right. least they have a little bit more respect for the approach.
1: Yes, definitely for sure. Um, the the group that we had were a bunch of really, really nice professional as well as intelligent people. They had a lot of very intelligent uh, questions, and to me, that's what makes it worth doing these type of events. When you get to meet good people and that have um, a genuine interest.
2: What I was most impressed about with the group is the, you know, they, they weren't stuck in any one approach. Right. When we do these events uh, through Legend Trips, we try to bring a variety of tools for people to use. We had devices like the RT EVP. We had the Melmeter. We had ghost boxes. We had the Shack Hack. Uh, people brought Ovaluses. You had your some, infrared camera.
1: Some people even brought thermals. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You had your thermal. Somebody else had a thermal. Uh, I'm sorry. Andy had his infrared camera, and there was there was enough different pieces of technology and a lot of old school style ghost hunting equipment too yep. for people to try out and experience and to see if they could make a connection. And I found that at least in the people that I've talked to so far, the evidence may have been a little bit lacking in terms of you know hard data from that night, but there was enough personal experiences and and just cool stories coming out of it that uh, people are still buzzing about it. Oh. Uh,
1: It's a great place to start with. I mean, yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, you you definitely know that you're going to have something going on there almost every time that you go. Uh, We had some pretty cool stuff happening on the third floor. You were down in the basement all night. How how were things down there?
1: Actually very quiet.
2: Yeah. I mean, I guess you always run the risk of bringing 25 people into the house that it's going to put a damper on some of the activity. But I found in the third floor... Uh, especially with the first group that we brought up. The later groups, there wasn't really so much going on. But the first group, we had some cool stuff coming over the Shack Hack. We had some interesting stuff coming over the Obelisk, And one of the things that impressed me was... Uh, now, I've never been a big Obelisk guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I understand how it works, and I, I understand the theory behind it. But I just never really bought into it as a worthwhile piece of equipment. After watching what happened over the last two Legend Trips events... I'm changing my mind because uh, (laughs) there's been some pretty cool stuff that can't be coincidence. Uh, for example, it was going off and it said ax murder (laughs) and then (laughs) so like, Oh, all right. So there you have it. And then when Jeff knocked on the door to tell us it was time to switch floors, it said intruder. But, uh, You know, and again, we always have strange things going on with the Shack Hack. It's up for a lot of debate. We can do a whole show someday where we just talk to paranormal investigators about what they feel about the Shack Hack. And for those who don't know, it's just simply a Radio Shack radio that has the mute pin removed so it doesn't stop on a frequency strong during a scan sweep. So it just keeps cycling through the stations. Supposedly spirits can grab the words that they want to use that are out there to communicate. And uh, we, we... had some some F-bombs coming over it, which is not usual broadcast radio material. And uh, at one point I said something about, uh, you know, we're going to have to let you go because you're not really saying anything and, you know, we're going to move on. And it said, Tim, thank you. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's cool stuff. It's a cool story. It's a cool experience to have happen. Uh, one of the things that really got me going, we did have a few people with the leg lifting experience and the Jose and Ultram, which was cool. I really wanted people to experience that for themselves but one of the things that, that kind of made scratch my head a little bit was while we were on the third floor in the knowlton room we had the door closed and right outside the door i heard a cough now this is uh, i believe it the second group so i assume that that was jeff coming because he kept messing with us every time uh so okay. it was him so i wanted to get the jump on him and i went over to open the door and there was nobody there and i looked around the whole third floor and there was nobody else up there And it was right outside the door. I mean, we couldn't hear what was going on in the rest of the house with the door closed. So it just seemed strange to me. And there definitely wasn't any way that somebody could have gotten downstairs in the time it took me to get off the bed and go over and open the door. So just one of those things. You know, we have it happen all the time. I guess even in the afterlife, you can still catch a cold. I guess so. All right. Well, why don't we take a break? When we come back on the other side, we will talk to Stephen Bassett about the disclosure petition. And uh, actually, while we're talking about Legend Trips, if you want to get involved, still tickets available to our April 21st Graveyard Shift at Slater Mill event where you can hang out with the Spooky crew and Jeff Belanger, Andy Lake, and Keith and Carl Johnson will be our featured speakers of the night. And we're going to get lectures, we're going to have dinner, we're going to have Q&A, and then, of course, uh, hours and hours of ghost hunting at the haunted Slater Mill. So we're going to have the whole run of the property, the the run of the mill, if you will. And uh, you'll be able to investigate every corner of the place, even places that you can't get to, uh, on the normal ghost tours. So we're going to have the entire place to ourselves. I'm looking forward to getting down you know, close to the river, getting down in the room where the river turns the the, the the turbines to the mill. I think it's going to be an outstanding night. And I don't know if you've had a chance, by the way, to check out on Facebook the uh, photo album that our photographer, Frank Grace of, of Trig Photography, took. He's he's the guy that we're bringing along yeah. with us on some of these events, and he posted up some amazing photos from Dead winter. So, uh, if anybody out there attended the event, you want to purchase those tickets, you can do, uh, purchase those pictures. You can do so from Frank, but uh, he's also going to be on hand at the Slater Mill event, taking his HDR photography. So, if people want to go to the event, they have the chance to to check out Frank and his work, and maybe get into some of his shots. And it's just, it's amazing. I mean, even looking at myself, I'm like, I'm not an attractive person at all, but even I look cool in one of Frank's photos. So, check those out as well. All right, and if you want to buy tickets to the Slater Mill event you can certainly, certainly go to legendtrips.com and purchase your tickets. Uh, they're $99, and they include dinner. We, we bring snacks, water, soda. We're a full-service company. We give you everything you could possibly need except hold your hand when you have to go to the bathroom. And even then, if you ask nicely and don't make it weird, we'll be accommodating. All right. I'm going to try and take a commercial. Let's see if we can do this. And uh, when we come back on the other side, we will talk more about the Disclosure Project, the Disclosure Petition. We'll find out what exactly did the Clinton administration know about UFOs and how can we get it out of the Obama administration. So stay tuned. We will be right back with more here on Spooky South it blew books off shelves from 20 feet away and
1: scared the socks off some poor librarian. Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. This looks extraordinarily bad.
2: bad? <laughs> Alright, welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with the science advisor. Matt Moniz and uh, we are joined on the phones by Stephen Bassett of the Paradigm Research Group and uh, we'll be talking about the disclosure petition. You can go anytime during the show to SpookySouthCoast.com and you can sign the disclosure petition by clicking on the slide there in the slideshow right at the top of the page. So uh, we will bring Steve on now. Good evening Steve, how you doing? Just fine, Tim. It's good to be with you. Oh, it's great to have you back. And uh, last time we had you on, you were talking about the first wave of the disclosure petition, and it seemed like that was, uh, we'll call it a success, because you you got an answer out of the Obama administration.
0: Sure, we oh, did. Now, uh, I'm curious as to how much your, your listener audience uh, already knows about this petition process right now. Are they up to speed? I mean, should we give maybe a little framework?
2: Absolutely. That? Let's take them through it.
0: Okay, um, essentially what's happened here is the uh, the White House made an interesting uh, decision back in September to initiate a petition process on the White House website itself, which was notable for a number of reasons. Um, and immediately TRG realized there was a rather substantial opportunity here to advance the disclosure process. Now, what's the disclosure process? Well, disclosure process is the um, advocacy movement that's been underway since, in earnest, since about mid nineteen nineties. It's become mm-hmm. phenomena, or global movement, rather, to get the world governments to finally acknowledge we're not alone in the universe. Mm-hmm pretty much the same deal as people were trying to do back in the uh, late 1600s. They were trying to get the Catholic Church to admit that uh, the Earth wasn't the center of the universe. That it went around the sun and all that. And, and, uh, um, of course, back then, the Church was rather intent on keeping it that way. And so a lot of people actually got killed or excommunicated or both uh, in order to, quote, keep all that together. But uh, in the modern era, we have what is called the truth embargo, and that was the, the effort by the government to uh, withhold the acknowledgement and the truth about this this phenomenon we've been experiencing for forever, but certainly intensely since 1947. So that's the disclosure process, and the goal of the movement is to get the acknowledgement of the E.T. presence to, by, the, by world government, starting with probably the United States.
2: And. I mean, this cre- of course, this petition process was created on the White House website because the Obama administration wanted to have this transparent government where they thought that if, they, you know, if enough people wanted to know the answers to questions, they would provide them.
0: Well, I think, yeah, there's, there's a transparent uh, component, I suppose, uh, meaning, you know, you, you send us a petition, we'll get back to you. But uh, it's also political. They're, they're showing that they're engaging the people, they're also collecting a whole lot of emails, email addresses, okay, well, that's which true too uh, may come in handy. Though they do, they do, I think, give you a uh, a an option to not receive, say, emails, further emails from the White House if you don't want to, which is which is appropriate. Uh, and uh, there is a political year underway, a huge election that's going to end up being the most expensive election in uh, in history. I mean, of any elections anywhere, any I mean, this will be it. So, whatever the reason, this, this presented an extraordinary opportunity for the disclosure movement. So, on September the 22nd, when the White House launched this We the People project at WhiteHouse.gov, Paradigm Research Group submitted a petition called the Disclosure Petition. And this was to set the issue up and to get a response from the White House. Under the rules... Any petition that received 5,000 signatures in 30 days got a formal response from the White House, from the Obama administration. We got those signatures in about four days, and I think eventually ended up with about 12,000. So the response came on November the 4th. Now, this response is notable for a number of reasons, but it was um, heavily covered, and it was heavily covered by the the media. Mm -hmm. Uh, In fact, the first disclosure petition and... The White House response got more media coverage than all the other posted petitions combined, about 50 to 400. So the media is following this, and that's good. The petition was straightforward. Um, I can uh, hang on a second. I'll, I'll just bring it up. The initial petition, which is still up at the White House, by the way, uh, under uh, the responses that We the People, uh, and has been up now for almost, uh, well, gee, I think uh, it's approaching five months. Uh, and this website is, is uh, uh, viewed by people all over the world political leaders, press, media, whatever. Mm-hmm. So the initial petition was as follows We petition the Obama administration to, um, hang on, we, the undersigned, strongly urge the President of the United States formally acknowledge an extraterrestrial presence engaging the human race and immediately release into the public domain all files from all agencies and military services relevant to this phenomenon. This is the core goal of the disclosure movement. It cuts right to the heart of the matter. It then had a couple of key websites for people to get information, etc., etc. And then the response came on November the 4th. And that response was not fully uh it wasn't anticipated, a little, little harder line than I thought they would go, but it's very notable, and let me just read you a couple of key paragraphs. It was written by Staffer the Office of Science and Technology Policy, and this is the position of the White House at this time. Thank you for signing, or searching for E.T., but no evidence yet. Thank you for signing the petition asking the Obama administration to acknowledge an extraterrestrial presence here on Earth. The U.S. government has no evidence that any life exists outside our planet. Or that an extraterrestrial presence is content or engaged any member of the human race. In addition, there is no credible information to suggest that any evidence is being hidden from the public's eye. Hmm. Now, this response is notable for three reasons. One, it's completely false, or at least that, that paragraph is. False. Uh, and I think most of your listeners already know that, knew that immediately. Secondly, it's indefensibly and that's that's notable because you can say something that's not true, be able to defend your statement quite well. In this case, uh, no member of the White House would dare want to go in front of a camera with any of the top researchers or activists and attempt to defend this statement. They, they would just be would be an unfair match and it would not go well for them. So well and good. And three, the. Uh, response itself is 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 has made some history. It is the first time the the White House, the, the administration, the executive branch of the United States government, has ever put in writing position on this issue. That's notable,
2: even though it's not necessarily the truth. <laughs> At least, it's,
0: yeah, whatever. Yeah. But it's a, it's a position. It, it's in, it's in writing. It is the administration's position. The government has steadfastly avoided putting anything in writing on this issue where possible. And what I mean by that in terms of its, its, uh, its uh, formal statements about what is going on, they, they, you, they, they commissioned a, a, a Condon report. There was a blue book study that was done, and there was a, uh, uh, something written there, fine. Uh, and then they shut everything down. Uh, so there have been things from the government written about this, but not what I would call formal government positions formal statement and certainly not from the white house and 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 so since 1969 what they did was try to limit their response to this whole issue and everything that was turning up at their door to a simple letter from the air force saying and many people have, have gotten this letter including some people in your audience you put a query into any part of the government it gets referred to the air force air force comes back with uh thank you for your query we no longer investigate this phenomena and whatever, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, whatever this phenomena is, we no longer investigate. It doesn't pose a threat. That's it. This is important. Because if, if you put something in writing, you have to defend it, and that's what they've done here. They've created a stationary target, a formal statement that they can't run from. They can't deny they've said it. And it's, it's not going anywhere, and so we can go after the statement to the extent that we wish. And so can the press. This was the purpose of the petition. Not to get Obama disclosed a couple of weeks later. That was not going to happen. To get this position. They had the option of not responding at all, but I think they were in a corner because had they not responded to the petition, I think it would have looked awfully suspicious. Mm-hmm. So they put out a hard line, it's about nine paragraphs, and that's it. Okay. So what next? Well, what next is we go after this statement. If we, if we break it, if we show it to be false, then we really and essentially break the truth embargo itself. But in order to do that, we need the media. Now the media has stayed out of this as part of the truth embargo, which was fully institutionalized by the 80s. Meaning you didn't have to call up any newspapers or whatever and tell them, don't don't look too hard at this. Don't write anything really serious. It was already established. Yeah, they kind of already knew, yeah. Absolutely. Just like the press knew that you didn't write about President Kennedy's affairs. It was just understood. Mm Mm-hmm. It's just a protocol, right? You don't talk about that. Now, of course, the presence of extraterrestrials engaging the human race is several billion times more important than the president's, Kennedy's affairs. But nevertheless, same concept. So, getting the press involved is critical here, and that's why this this petition process is so important. This is there, there are petitions all over the internet. They're everywhere, and that's wonderful. It it lends itself to that. But this petition is not sitting on some obscure website run by a activist or researcher. Uh, this petition, uh, the first one, has been sitting up on the the White House website continuously since September the twenty second, toward November, December, December, January, February. It's what, five months, five going on heading toward six months uh, for anybody in the world to read, including members of the military and the intelligence community. So. And 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 it is the position of the White House. It was issued by the White House's science office. So this is now a newsworthy story, uh, without question. And the the press covered it with hundreds of articles around the world. Okay, good. So, what happens next? Well, what happens next is that on February the 23rd, 10 days ago, Paranormal Research Group introduced Disclosure Petition 2. Now, this... Is a much more uh, complicated and intense petition than the first one. The first one framed the issue and got the response. The second one is coming after the issue, coming after the response, rather, to draw in the press. And in order to do that, PRG reached back to one of the most important political events of the 20th century that was not covered by the media. I mean, it just wasn't covered at all. And I'm referring to the Rockefeller Initiative.
2: And for those unfamiliar?
0: For those unfamiliar, this was a three-year effort by one of the sons of John D. Rockefeller, a billionaire, environmentalist, philanthropist, out-of-the-box thinker who supported research by John Mack, Colin Andrews, and others. Pretty good guy, actually. Uh, I know some of the Rockefellers are not viewed uh, favorably by many of your audience, but uh, they would have liked Lawrence, I think. He approved Bill Clinton's administration beginning on March the 29th of 1993, because he was the first post, post Cold War president. Cold War was over, and thus the, the major barrier to ending this truth embargo and bringing the truth out to the American people was 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 passed, and he wanted to get going on it. Uh, so he approached the administration, and this initiative went on for approximately three years, uh, a little less than three years, only five years, not two and a half, two and a half years, really. Uh, a lot of people were involved. A lot of people in the administration knew about it. Some of them were involved in it. Most everybody is still alive. We've lost about four or five. And then it, uh, it faded out. It faded out for two reasons. The Clinton administration got tied up in a barrage of attacks, mostly from the right. Most, almost, probably the most unprecedented coordinated attacks on the presidency ever, that kept uh, uh, Clinton bottled up pretty well and didn't give him a lot of latitude to move, particularly on something of this magnitude. Those attacks never never relented, and ultimately while most of the initial attacks resulted in nothing through Brigade, Travelgate, Pork ba- ba- Belly Gate, um, and uh, White Watergate, eventually, though, they did uh, have a scandal with Monica Lewinsky, which then They pursued until impeachment, but no conviction. So the Clinton administration had a very interesting history. I believe there's a connection between that history, the history of the attacks and the Rockefeller initiative, definitely. So after, by fall of 96, it had gone about as far as hand, plus Rockefeller was getting quite old, and so his health was starting to decline. So it just faded away. He had no support from his family on this, by the way. They didn't want to have anything to do with this. Uh, I know this because I talked with his daughter. So uh, it fades away. The press never covered it. And so as far as anyone is concerned, let's just pretend this never happened. And in the 19 years since the initiative began, in 1993, not a single principal, government person involved in it, has ever said anything publicly about it. Nor has any member of the press ever, ever asked one of these principals a question about it. Which is actually quite remarkable. Okay, well and good. But that initiative, because of the people involved, has been, ever since it was launched, probably the Achilles heel of the embargo. So attempts were made to get the news media, political media, to break out of the embargo mode and engage this issue. The first uh, attempts were made in the year 2000, four years after the uh, initiative ended. And this was was, uh, generated because uh, Canadian researcher Grant Cameron was building a website, presidentialufo.com, which is still up and going. It's the largest compilation of information in the world connecting the UFOET issue to U.S. presidents.
2: It's a great site.
0: It's a great site. And uh, in order to develop his Clinton section he very cleverly filed a uh, Freedom of Information Act request to Clinton's Office of Science Policy or regarding the OSTP under Clinton in that period for anything they had in the files regarding UFOs, ETs, and Rockefeller. And for reasons we may never know, he got back a 1,000 pages of documents virtually unredacted. I'm surprised at this. Somebody either made a mistake or somebody wanted those documents out. Because contrary to what people believe, you can file FOIA requests until hell freezes over. And if the government doesn't want you to have something, it's not going to give it to you. Right. All right? You can get documents if they want to release them. So the position of the government is, look, we'd rather just keep everything secret. But if you file some stuff and we don't care about it, eh, we'll give you something. You have to run through all these hoops. It's kind of the general view, that they tried to make it better. Clinton tried to make it better. Mm-hmm. But if, we really, if you really want something that's going to be a problem for us, you're not going to get it. It's national security, that's the ballgame. So, and, and so essentially the FOIA road has been a very tough road, and a number of people have traveled it for many years, and I don't envy them at all. But on occasion you get something by accident. But in this case, it was surprising he got the goods, and those pages confirm the initiative. And now, what to do? Well, what Grant did is send me a copy. I made a couple of copies, and I, and I ran them down and uh, presented them to the Washington Post, who wanted nothing to do with them. Grant put uh, drew on those documents to create the Clinton narrative, and so a great deal of the narrative of this this story is, is at the website now, in the Clinton section at presidentialufo.com. I put up a a Rockefeller initiative section at ParadigmResearchGroup.org where uh, nine years ago, roughly nine years ago, I I, uh, put up thumbnails and the actual documents uh, for about 173 of the key documents in chronological order so any reporter could just go right through it very quickly, just right on the Internet. Uh, And over the next ten years, uh, both Grant and primarily I, put out a number of press releases in various ways, various subjects, where the Rockefeller Initiative links were there and, and it was raised to the media. And in that time, they have not touched it. On anything to do with it. All right, that's truth embargo. So, all you can do is put this out there. If the press is going to continue to go along with the embargo, you're kind of stuck until President uh, Obama made the decision to launch the petition project at we the people the white house website so what has happened is disclosure petition two is now bringing the rockefeller initiative back and it's putting it right on the white house website for anybody in the world to read putting it in front of the press as a mainstream newsworthy article because uh, event because obviously it is part of the white house initiative and it's on the white House website so it's in play and that's the way the media works. If something is in play, if the editors and reporters sort of understand it in the context, that is approachable story. They will approach it, sure. even if it's about extraterrestrials.
2: Well, what I found interesting about this second wave here of, of, the, uh, of the petition is that you said for the first uh, part of it, to just get them to comment on it required five thousand signatures mm-hmm. now you need 25,000 signatures who to are to the next level is that something that was directly related to this petition or did they just change policy and make it so that you had to have you know five times as many yeah. signatures
0: uh, No I'm pretty sure that uh, as they as they felt their way along in in this process which they this is they're they're, they're in uncharted territory here somewhat. And they didn't over-promote it either. I mean, it, there was not a lot of promotion of this by the White House the administration, very little, because they just didn't know what to expect. And as it was, they received well above 10,000 petitions, I think, in the first three weeks. And so they realized, Lord, if, if, if we may end up having to respond to several thousand petitions here, and that, that would be pretty formidable. And so they realized that they put a too small a number, so they t- increased it, I think, about, it was around the October 8, 9, 10, they, which they had the right to do under their own rules. They increased the threshold to 25,000, which dramatically decreased the number of petitions being submitted and the number of petitions that have uh, uh, are set for responses. Uh, to, you know, I think the number of petitions is now between ten and 20,000, of which about 450 got the necessary 150 signatures to be posted. And then of those 400, I think about 75 uh, had the necessary signatures to get a response. And so far the White House has responded to, um, let's see, I think it's about 53. Let me just check. Uh, 53. And, and in some cases they're grouping uh, petitions together that are essentially addressing the same issue. So as you can see, it's a relatively limited uh Uh, process so far, but one of the 53 responses, of course, was to Disclosure Petition 1. Now the question is, can we get uh, a response to Disclosure Petition 2? Because Disclosure Petition 2 is going to be a really substantial challenge for the administration. This is not going to be so easy, but it gets even better than that. Um, This could be a breakthrough moment. This could be the, I don't know, so many analogies I could use, but this could be the move on the chessboard that that sets up checkmate on the truth embargo finally after 65 years. Uh, And let me uh, make the case for that. I think some of your listeners are starting to sort of see the picture, but we need to go a little further than that. So what I'm going to do is um, uh, read the uh, the petition that is sitting at the White House website right now. If you go to We the People, if you go to WhiteHouse.gov and We the People, you, it's the uh, under just open petitions. It's the eleventh uh, one down, uh, or you can go to, to the the information hub for all of this, which is DisclosurePetition.info. Mm-hmm. DisclosurePetition.info, and you will find a lot about this process as well as the direct link to this petition. You go straight there. All right, this is what's in play right now. Um, You only have 120 characters for the title and 84 characters, not words, but characters for the description. And so it's very tight, and you have to craft as much into that space as you can. So there's a lot I could have put in, but here's what's sitting there for all the world to read right now. We petitioned the Obama administration... To immediately investigate ufo et disclosure efforts during the clinton administration the rockefeller initiative the obama administration has formally stated the u.s government has no evidence that any life exists outside our planet or that an extraterrestrial presence has contacted to engage any member of the human race if true What was Clinton's Office of Science and Technology Policy investigating from March of 1993 to October 1996 in concert with billionaire, Clinton friend, Lawrence Rockefeller? And now the killer paragraph, the one that could launch a thousand ships. Those who knew and have not spoken publicly of this initiative include President Bill Clinton, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, Obama Transition Chairman John Podesta, Secretary of Defense Leon Panetta, Vice President Al Gore, and Governor Bill Richardson. These people are somewhat well-known. I would say so. Uh-huh. And then it uh, finishes up with confirming documents and then two website links. One is to presidentialufo.com, the Clinton section. By the way, you can also download all of these documents at the uh site, And then one to the, uh, Paradigm Research Group, Rockefeller Initiative section, where 173 of the key documents are, are thumbnailed and, and presented in chronological order. The, the, and, and along with, uh, some other key information. It's very visual. It's very compact. It's, it's designed for, and make any, it make it easy for any reporter or editor to go right to it in 30 minutes, pretty much have, have the idea, have it down.
2: All right. Well, we are coming up on the end of the first hour of the program, but we're going to talk more with our guest, Stephen Bassett, on the other side about the Disclosure Petition 2. We'll find out more about uh, just the process, and there's 4,919 signatures uh, on on the petition right now. There's another 20,081 to go. So if you go to the website for it, which is uh, disclosurepetition.info, or you can go right to spookysouthcoast.com. Where we have it linked up as well, and you can sign it during the break. Uh, when we come back, too, we'll also throw open the phone lines if anybody has any questions and wants to ask some more questions of the Rockefeller Initiative about just the response from the uh, Obama administration and anything else coming up here in the second hour. But we are going to take a few minutes break for the news, and uh, when we come back on the other side, we'll talk more about this topic because... It's, it's one of those things where people always say, you know, nobody can make a difference. You know, when you're going up against government, what can one person do? Well, one person can sign their name to the signature, and that can make all the difference in the world. So just stay tuned. We'll be right back in just a few minutes here on Spooky South Coast. Again, during the break, just go to the website, click on the slide, and you can have your chance to sign up for the disclosure petition, too. just takes a few seconds, and literally, you'll be able to sign it within... Two minutes of logging on to the website. Welcome
0: to Spooty South Coast. I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does not AM 1420.
1: WBSM presents Spooky South Coast with your hosts Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa.
2: Alright, welcome back, hour number two of Spooky South Coast, Tim Weisberg, along with Science Advisor Matt Moniz, the silent assassin Matt Costa, stuck at work tonight. So he's probably listening to the show as he's finishing up work. I hope. And if you want to listen to the show, of course, you can do so anytime. SpookySouthCoast.com is a place to find out everything about the program. Uh, you can also go to YouTube and get all of our YouTube archives now, which is a cool feature that we have. Uh, every show that's ever been recorded on Spooky TV is now up there for your viewing. So please subscribe so that we can have more viewers and more subscribers in 30-odd minutes because I'm putting out that challenge. And... Uh, <laughs> And then, of course, you can uh, get the show through iTunes, wherever podcasts are found. We had an issue a few weeks ago where uh, iTunes wasn't distributing the podcast, but I fixed it. Somebody brought it to my attention immediately, and we we got it all fixed. And then, of course, the coolest way to get the show, of course, is through the Stitcher app. If you just download the Stitcher app for your smartphone or for your iPad, it's free. It doesn't cost anything. You can uh, sign up to receive Spooky South Coast automatically every time there's a new episode. It'll go right to your Stitcher favorites list, and you can just open up the app whenever you're ready to listen to it, and it's right there waiting for you. No downloading, no syncing. It doesn't take up any space on your phone. It's the easiest way to do it. So all you have to do is download the app from wherever you get your apps for your smartphone, for your iPad, whatever you're using. And when it asks you how you found out about the show, enter in Spooky S-P-O-O-K-Y-S-C, S-P-O-O-K-Y-S-C not case-sensitive, so just type it in however you want to type it in. Spooky SC. And then what will happen is, once you've typed in that, and then you go and you listen to our show or any show on the Stitcher app, then you're automatically entered in a drawing to win a $100 cash card from Stitcher. So, get paid to listen to our show. Can't get any better than that. And of course, it's right there for you. So, even if you don't win, you still win because... You get our show and plenty of other awesome podcasts every week delivered right to your phone. Yeah, I use Stitcher all the time. I listen to all kinds of things. Here's I listen to. Here's a thing with Alec Baldwin, and you know, uh, there's uh, our friend da- Darkness Radio. You know, they're there, coast to coast AM, there, there, tons of paranormal content if that's what you're into. So just check it out. Stitcher is the name of the app. Stitcher.com is the website, and if you want to get to our direct link to it, Stitcher.com/spookysc. And it's linked up right on the front page of SpookySouthCoast.com, as is the link to the petition, uh, the uh, disclosure petition to direct link is right up there on SpookySouthCoast.com if you want to sign up. And uh, I see the the tally going up here for the number of signatures, so uh, that's an awesome thing. So let's bring back our guest tonight who's joining us, Stephen Bassett of the Paradigm Research Group, who is uh, behind this initiative here of trying to get this petition. It needs about 20,000 more signatures and uh, Now, if you've only had it up there, Steve, since February 23rd, and you've got 5,000 signatures there, so I'm thinking the goal of 25,000 is going to be hopefully easily reachable.
0: Uh, not easily. Not easily, I'm afraid, because the pace that it's on right now would only be uh, about uh, 14 to 15,000. Remember, we only have 30 days. Mm-hmm. And The way this works, it, as of midnight, March 24, is only 24,999. Petition will be deleted, and there will be no White House response. So, um, there's a lot of work to be done. I- I've already done approximately 20 interviews specifically on this second petition, and I've got 10 booked for March, and probably will do another 10 uh, for the dust clears. I am going to be interviewed by CNBC on Monday for a release later that week, but nevertheless. Uh, there's hundreds of hours of going into this, but in all of this is, we can do that, but what we can't do is sign for people. And they have to take the few minutes it takes to, to uh, support this petition and um, uh, tell other people about it. We, I was going to say,
2: it's not just signing, it's also sharing it. I mean, sending absolutely. it through Facebook and Twitter and all these different easily, easily reachable ways to get a hold of people now and to spread the word.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Some people also have blogs. They have email lists that they work with. At disclosurepetition.info, they can find banners. They can use the link directly to the petition or to disclosurepetition.info. Uh, so you know, sign it, get twenty people to sign it, and this will this will happen. But uh, it's still uh, not a deal by any means. So uh, with that in mind. Let me, uh, again, further describe to people and try to get people to know why this is so important, why uh, it could could be the breakthrough maneuver here, the breakthrough move, and the chess game we've been playing with the U.S. government on this for a good 15 years, and in some respects for, for six and a half decades. So uh, what we have is the Rockefeller Initiative Disclosure Petition 2 up on the site. Here is where things get interesting, and let me put this in perspective. In the roughly t- t- same time frame that disclosure, I'm sorry, that uh, Rockefeller began the approach and the initiative with the Office of Science and Technology Policy under Clinton, his wife Hillary invited a friend of hers, Gene Houston, over a few times for lunch. White House. And not surprisingly, anything that goes on at the White House, anything that goes on in the executive branch is considered news. And I don't think anybody denies that. Just about. Um, I mean, there was big news when uh, Bush was doing some t-ball there in the garden and whatever. <laughs> yep. And big news when Michelle Obama planted an organic garden. But uh, what in this case happened is that Hillary... Uh, Had Gene Houston come over? Gene Houston was a world famous prognosticator. uh, I guess you could say a a psychic, mainstream psychic, if there is such a thing. And they had a little fun. They they did some role playing. I think Gene Houston played Eleanor Roosevelt, and uh, Hillary talked with her uh, as if she was Eleanor Roosevelt, just just as a role playing game to to kind of get a sense of how she would be, uh, how she would conduct uh, the role of being first lady. Eleanor Roosevelt, one of the most famous first ladies in history, one of the one of the most one of the strongest, and Hillary was certainly considered one of the strongest first ladies of any uh, presidency. Uh, so, nothing wrong with this. However, the press learned about it, and it was a huge story. Oh, well, this is big news! This went around the world. Hillary is channeling Eleanor Roosevelt. Well, a billionaire Rockefeller approaches the administration, and for three years. There are two and a half years there's an, uh, 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 an initiative going on involving a lot of people, involving report studies, meetings, meetings at Rockefeller's ranch. to get Bill Clinton to release all the UFO files and maybe grant amnesty to witnesses that come forward. And this is no news? Nothing to, nothing to write about there? That's all your listeners need to know about the truth embargo and its existence and its effectiveness.
2: Well, and you can even take a take away from that the whole White House-Clinton aspect of it and just point out that you're talking about a Rockefeller who is, as you said, you know, not somebody that the family was supportive of what he was doing. I mean, we love gossip amongst our, you know, American royalty. And, of course, the Rockefellers are considered just that.
0: No, I, 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 without the truth embargo, this is a massive story. Uh, with the truth embargo, they don't talk about it at all. Uh, so see, there's a problem here. Let's run through the people that knew about this or were actually directly engaged. President Bill Clinton, about it. How do we know that? Well, for one thing, actually we know about it for a lot of reasons, but for one thing, um, he, uh, as part of the initiative, tasked his uh, key advisor, John Podesta, to, under presidential directive, to... Uh, redesign the way the documents were being declassified and, and made available to the public, so that millions more could be declassified. Since they were making, you know, the, the government had gotten in the habit of making everything classified and hard to and hard to get them out again. And so this was a reformist move that, that Podesta has talked about, has been been praised for, was in the news, though no mention of UFOs or Rockefeller. We know he did that. We know that he asked his good friend, Webster Hubble, who he appointed associate attorney general at Justice, to actually make some queries about UFOs at Justice. He at Justice knew anything. and Even elsewhere in the government, I think, uh, pretty sure that Webster Hubble contacted NORAD. I think he contacted the NRO. Of course, he was completely stonewalled. But uh, he, he did this, and we know he did this, because he wrote a book called Friends in High Places, where he, he talks about it, where he mentions it. Then in 1995, Clinton went to Ireland, gave a to a very appreciative uh, um, public there, spoke uh, in an open forum, and out of nowhere, without being prompted at all, he mentions he received a letter from a young boy wanting to know if aliens had crashed at, at Roswell, New Mexico, in July. And he said he didn't know, but he wanted to know. That's uh, Interesting. Um, and, all, and of course, he also went and met with Rockefeller in 1995 at Rockefeller's ranch. He, Hillary accompanied him, and they spoke privately about this issue. So he was involved. What's happened to him? Well, he's, he's a major player in the Democratic Party. He's a key advisor and probably behind the scenes. He, he's probably critical to Obama's re-election. Goes around the world advising countries and nations. Okay. What about Hillary Clinton? We know she was involved because two of the documents say so directly. And I'll read those to you, read those to your audience a little bit later. She's actually in the documents referred to as being informed and being involved, including not only her, but her staff. Now, what happened to her? Well, she went on to run for president, came very close to being the president of the United States. Now she's just secretary of state. Interesting. Mm-hmm. What happened to John Podesta? John Podesta was a key aide to Clinton. We know that he was tasked to improve the release of classified documents as part of, I think, a response to Clinton to what Rockefeller was trying to do. But then he became the chief of staff to the president, second like term, during the impeachment, during the toughest times. Very close to the president. After Bill Clinton left office on January the 20th, 2001, About um, 18 months later, the same John Podesta walked into the National Press Club as part of a press conference that was given there, and he he spoke first. And at that time, October twenty second, two 2002, he called for the release of all UFO files in government hands, exactly what Rockefeller wanted Clinton to do. He didn't mention Rockefeller. He didn't mention the initiative. And he, and he said it's because the people have a right to know, and it's the law. Uh, you can actually see him doing this. There's a, there are numerous YouTube videos. Just do a YouTube video search on Podesta, P-O-D-E-S-T-A-U-F-O. You can see it. We're we trying to get our hands on the full four or five minutes, uh, and we'll eventually have that, and it'll be up on YouTube. But Then he came back to a, a press conference, a similar press conference, in uh, October of 2003, a year later, and said it that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And what happened to John Podesta? Well, he went on to be uh, selected by Obama to be the head of his transition team that helped pick the Obama administration. And then, because we we, we, we have seen the White House logs that were released, he was the most frequent visitor to the White House in the first 90 days. And shortly after he called the second time for the release of all UFO files, he founded the... The Center for American Progress, which is now the most important and powerful progressive think tank in Washington, in the country. He's a major advisor to the Democratic Party. Gee, interesting. Well, what happened to uh, Leon Panetta? Leon Panetta was the chief of staff to Clinton during the Rockefeller Initiative, the whole thing. And I can assure you, the chief of staff knows everything that goes on in the White House and the immediate offices. Everything. Now, we don't think, we have no record that he was directly involved, nor has he said anything. But he knew about it, and of course has never said a word. What happened to Leon? Well, he became, the, under Obama, the head of the CIA. And then he left that job, and now he's a secretary of defense. A rather important person. And then there's Vice President Al Gore. Al Gore was one of the most active vice presidents. He was very close to the Clintons. He he certainly knew about the Rockefeller Initiative. What happened to him? Well, he ran for president, if I recall, and came within a few votes of being president.
2: Uh, He actually won.
0: Some think he won. He then went on to win a Nobel Prize, and he goes around the world advising nations and corporations on how to uh, handle their affairs. He's considered a very important person. And then we have Governor Bill Richardson. Now, Bill Richardson was a besides being a great politician he was a good friend of the Clintons and during the Rockefeller Initiative he was in Congress uh, and we believe he knew about it pretty sure he knew about it then uh, he was appointed Clinton's Secretary of Energy and then when Obama comes in he, he taps him to be the, the Secretary of Commerce but he doesn't take that job he ends up remaining the governor of New Mexico but something else he did, when, uh, about a year, a little, little less than a year after Podesta calls for the UFO files, in 2004, Richardson writes a foreword to a book, The Roswell Dig Diaries. And in that foreword, this former Marine pilot, Governor of New Mexico, states, necessary, if somebody wants, I'll go and actually read it. The point is, he states that the explanation for Roswell doesn't hold up, that we don't really know the truth yet about it. And, and we need to reinvestigate Roswell, because the people can handle the truth. Now, that's interesting, because, see, the U.S. Air Force, it made it absolutely clear what happened to Roswell. There was a mogul balloon and crash test dummies. That's it. Case closed. So he just called his own, you know, the Air Force. A liar. That was 2004. Now, what, what, what happened after that? Well, he ran for president, mm-hmm. of course. And uh, he was considered a very possible pick to be the vice-presidential pick, and might have been the vice-presidential pick, if Hillary had won. Uh, gee. But, so, the only person that is, well, uh, I, 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 and, then, and then I mentioned uh, Webster Hubble, who we're pretty sure knew about the initiative, and he was tasked to, to look in the UFO question. He wrote about it in the Roswell Big Diaries, but he didn't refer to the Rockefeller Initiative. But, and he is not a factor here. He is not a major player in the stage now. The people I've mentioned are. They're, they're about as major as it gets. Mm-hmm. Right. And so what this petition has done is, is put it right under the nose of the press that three people who ran for president, two almost became president, and someone who was president, and the current Secretary of State and Secretary of Defense were actually involved in a billionaire Rockefeller's effort to end the truth embargo in the 1990s, and they they don't feel that they should ever have to talk about it, ever be asked a question about it. It doesn't matter. It didn't happen. Go away. Don't ask. Don't tell. That's what's being stuck under the uh, press's nose right now on the White House website. And if the number of signatures starts to approach 25,000, press which is following this is going to realize that there's going to have to be a White House response and that means the story gets much more significant and they're going to take closer attention and they're going to start possibly very likely going to the websites that are mentioned in the petition and starting to read those documents and confirm everything that I've just said. And that may launch one of the biggest news frenzies of all time and that's the end of the truth embargo. So what we have now is potentially the end of this 65-year charade could be at hand if 25,000 of the nearly 240 million people, adults, in America, who have stated through the polls that they believe the government's not telling the truth about this, if just 25,000 of them will take a couple minutes to go and sign this petition, that's how important this all.
2: And w- what's the most important about it is the way that it's been worded here and the the way that you've attack the issue here in, in the second half of the petition is that there has to be a, a more elaborate, a more direct response not only from the administration, but then once the administration is forced to comment on it, then these people that you mentioned Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, Bill Richardson uh, Hillary Clinton, Bill Richardson, Al Gore then they have to respond they don't have to respond to a question about it uh, when it's coming from even one reporter, but they do have to respond to it when it's coming from you know, when based on a statement being made by the Obama administration in the White House.
0: I wouldn't go that far. Be this way. If, if they're not asking anything, they're not going to say a word. But if the press does ask them about it, uh, there's almost no way they cannot respond, mm-hmm. and there's almost nothing they can say that won't cause real serious issues here.
2: Well, we've seen them dance around the issue before, but I mean... Yeah, if not the, this time. Yeah, exactly. If,
0: there's if, nowhere to dance. I mean, yeah, if you give somebody some dancing room, they'll dance. But not this time. Uh, they, they, the documents are on the web... Uh, many, well, let, let, me, let me go further. Let me now give your audience a little broader picture of this initiative. And to see, this is no trivial matter. Um, the key principles on the government side, as I mentioned, were Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, Dr. John Gibbons, who has also never spoken publicly. Obviously, he was involved in it. He's retired. I kind of view him more of a private person now. Why his name is not in that petition? Mm. Of course, John Podesta and Webster Hubble. Now, the people that knew about it, I call them the Watchers. That was Al Gore, Leon Panetta, Bill Richardson. But there were some additional principles that were that intersected this issue. The, the issue reached out and touched them. One was former Secretary of Defense Melvin Laird. He's alive. Then Senator Claiborne Pell, who's by the way a great friend of this issue, and did as best he could. To try to advance the issue and deserves a lot of credit, which he's not received. He's passed. Senator Patty Murray, she's alive. Marie Bootsy Galbraith, the wife of Ambassador Galbraith, she's alive. Secretary of uh, Secretary of Actually, Bootsy should not be in that section. I just realized she should be in the in the the uh, private um, uh, principal section. I'm going to correct that. And then Secretary of Air Force Sheila Widnall, and then Representative Stephen Schiff. Let me mention Stephen Schiff. This is another example of somebody who did something about it. In other words, this initiative is going on, and it helped him to make a decision to take some action. I mentioned what Clinton did. I mentioned what Podesta did, Richardson did. Uh, Stephen Schiff was a Republican, conservative, good guy, representative from New Mexico and a former Air Force officer, good man. And he had a lot of uh, constituents that wanted him to, to to try to get information about Roswell. And unlike just about all the just about everybody in Congress right now, uh, with a few exceptions, he actually took his job seriously. Uh, he wasn't bought by any group, and he actually tried to serve his constituents' request and started making queries to try to get information and records regarding Roswell from his position as a member of Congress. Not surprisingly, he was stonewalled. But he was more than stonewalled. They kind of run him around, you know, where Agency A says, oh, no, we don't have it. Go to B. Agency B says, no, we don't have it. It's over at A. And A says, well, maybe try C. And then you go to C and says, no, you should go to B. He wasn't happy about this, and he started going public. He actually publicly complained. He went on a number of tele- radio shows, uh, television shows, including Larry King. Well, I can assure you that the NRO and the Air Force and the CIA and and so forth were not happy about this. Um, The Air Force, it could be the Army. I have to clarify that, but either one. I guess as a way of uh, getting out from under what seemed to be a bit of an embarrassing uh, critique, uh, did come back to him with a response in, 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 to one of his requests. He was trying to get the, the uh, he had requested the phone records uh, under congressional now. Remember, this is not an FOA. This is under congressional request. It's a different ballgame. From Roswell during the first two weeks of July, and I can assure you those would have been very, very interesting phone records, incoming and outgoing calls. And so the Air Force did respond and said, that we lost them. Wow. So, hey, we responded, and ah, we don't got him. We lost them. Schiff talked about that. So there's another example of one of the principles coming forward. As it happens, uh, not that long after Representative Stephen Schiff had publicly uh, complained about the way the government was responding to these legitimate requests by a member of Congress, he developed a rather unusual squamous cancer of, of his outer ear. I, I've had several squamous cancers removed. It's generally not a problem. This apparently was the squamous cancer from hell, and the doctors could not get on it, and it moved into his inner ear, into his brain, he used to be in office. Now, the private people that were involved in this, right, effort that went on for two and a half years, included, aforementioned Marie Galbraith, wife of Ambassador Galbraith, researcher Don Berliner, researcher Antonia Haneus, researcher Robert Keats, researcher Linda Moulton Howe, researcher Colin Andrews, skeptic researcher Carl Flock, involved because his wife worked for Schiff, and then Dr. John Mack, Dr. Leo Sprinko, Dr. Stephen Greer, Dr. Bruce McAbee, Dr. Jacques Vallée. Uh Carl Flock has passed, Mac has passed. The rest are alive. As are Laird, Murray, Widnell, Galbraith, Gore, Panetta, Richardson. And then the key four suppose, in the public sector, Lawrence Rockefeller, who has passed, his attorney Henry Diamond, who is alive, the director of the Human Potential Foundation and the key player in this, Dr. C.B. Scott Jones, formerly formerly an Army intelligence officer, and his right-hand man, uh, Richard Farley. That's a whole lot of people alive that could easily ask answer questions about this if the press actually ask any, which the press doesn't do yet. But again, are we starting to get the scope of this? I think your listeners are starting to get the scope but just so they can have a little taste of history. And by the way, uh, another way we know that the Clintons responded was that they met with Rockefeller at his ranch in 1995. I think this was after Clinton had mentioned that comment in in Ireland, but I'm not positive. We have the photos of of them there uh, and so forth. We have some news articles, and those are up on the websites as well. But here's a piece of history for your audience. Let me read an historical document to you. It will be seen as such in due course. It is the memo that initiated the Rockefeller Initiative. It was sent by uh, Rockefeller's attorney, Henry Diamond, to the head of the OST at that time, Dr. John Gibbons. It was sent through uh, Gibbons' uh, uh, assistant, Mike Kowalik, and it is regarding request for meeting with Dr. Gibbons for Lawrence S. Rockefeller to be had on April 12th or April 13th, 1993. This is dated March 29. And and I invite your listeners to listen to the controlled, balanced language here. This, This is a formal approach. This is not some UFO person running at the administration trying to stir the pot. This is a a billionaire, serious man, friend of the Clintons, who is trying to get the administration to move appropriately and get this issue resolved. Note the tempered language. Lawrence S. Rockefeller, who is a leading U.S. conservationist, businessman, and philanthropist, is anxious to have a brief meeting with Dr. Gibbons to discuss the potential availability of government information about unidentified flying objects and extraterrestrial life. As one who has had a long-time interest in environmental and spiritual issues, Mr. Rockefeller, with other leading citizens, is planning to make an approach to President Clinton on this subject. Prior to such an approach, Mr. Rockefeller would appreciate the opportunity of discussing the issues with Dr. Givens in order to make this communication to the President as useful as possible. Now listen carefully to these next sentences. The basic message to the president is that there is a belief in many quarters that the government has long held classified information regarding UFOs, which has not been released, and that the failure to do so has brought about unnecessary suspicion and distrust. Many believe that the release of such information, if it exists on a basis consistent with national security considerations, would be a significant gesture which would increase confidence in government. The meeting would take place no more than would take no more than 45 minutes to an hour. Mr. Rockefeller would be accompanied by Scott Jones, president of the Human Potential Foundation, and Henry Diamond, a Washington attorney. And thus begins the Rockefeller Initiative. And if people go to the Rockefeller Initiative section at the uh, Paradigm Research Group, they can review uh, about 173 or 4 documents in chronological order. Uh, of the 1,000 pages that Grant Cameron obtained in 2000, as well as some documents he got from the Clinton Library uh, a few years back. Now, just to drive this point home, given that the person involved is, is very likely going to run for the presidency in 2016 and have control of the United States nuclear arsenal and the fate of the American people, uh, in her uh, purview, let me read two other documents that a news reporter or an editor who haven't destroyed their brain by sniffing glue realizes one of a major news story. Right. right? Let's move ahead to late 1995. The initiative has been going on for 18 months. And at that time, Lawrence's attorney, Henry Diamond, sent a letter, brief note, to Dr. Jack Gibbons at the OSTP. And let me read it. Self-explanatory. From 30 Rockefeller Plaza, New York. New York. Dear Jack, November 1, 1995. Attached are a draft letter to the president which Lawrence has been discussing with Mrs. Clinton and her staff. And two, a draft report on the best evidence about UFOs. This would be the evidence that the current OTP says doesn't exist. Returning, Lawrence thinks that it is perhaps timely to send a letter to the president. We think the best evidence report, although we haven't reviewed it in detail or analyzed it, is a good piece of work. Lawrence would like to discuss these items by telephone, perhaps on Thursday, November 2nd. Sincerely, Henry Diamond. Okay, fine. Let's jump ahead just two months. February the 5th, 1996. Now this letter is from Lawrence himself to Dr. Jack Gibbons. 30 Rockefeller Plaza. Dear Jack, this is an amazing letter. We appreciate your taking the time last week for our very productive telephone call. As always, your knowledge of the scientific and federal government scene is particularly useful to those of us trying to be helpful as citizens. As soon as the Best Evidence Report, the report written by Don Berliner and coordinated by Marie Galbraith, which we have referred to as the Bootsy Report, is published, we will send you a copy. This report is an unusual combined effort of the three major UFO organizations. For those of you that don't know, It was at this time that MUFON, KUFOS, and FUFOR came together in coalition specifically to be part of this initiative and help create this report. Returning. We believe that it is quite factual and avoids sensationalism. We, of course, would be very much interested in your reaction. This report, by the way, eventually became the book UFO's Best Best Evidence by Don Berliner and Antonio Aneas. Very good book. Very important book. Returning to the letter. As you suggested, we will ask those who worked on the report to put forward two or three names who might be candidates for a pilot project to assess the usefulness of the offended amnesty program we have urged. We would hope... Oh, amnesty program. This is referring to Rockefeller's intention to ask the president to use a presidential directive to get amnesty to witness to come forward.
1: That's
0: how serious this is. Right. We hope that there uh, could be a private-public review of the effort coordinated by your office. And now comes this paragraph, right? This is this is this is this is you know the new. Th- this is no news. There's no news here. No reporter would want to write about this. Where's the news here? Not no news. Returning your willingness to approach the Air Force, the Central Intelligence Agency, and NASA on this project is extremely important. We will await the results of this effort in order to add any significant findings to our proposed letter to the President. We will, of course, take into account the comments you made on the draft. Well may be that it will be timely to put this before the President late this year in order that it might receive attention in a second term. This is important because it shows that they intended to take this initiative into Clinton's second term Mm -hmm. after the '96 election. And then the final sentence. You indicated that you will keep the First Lady's office informed and we shall as well. Jack, we know you have a great many day-to-day short-term urgent problems which demand your limited time. So we are particularly grateful for the very responsive attention you are paying to our initiative. Sincerely, Lawrence Rockefeller. To John H. Gibbons, Ph.D., Assistant to the President for Science and Technology, Old Executive Office Building, 17th and Pennsylvania Avenue, Northwest Washington, D.C. I think your listeners are starting to get the picture by now. Yeah. All right? And before I read the last document, here's what they need to do they need to go to disclosurepetition.info where they will find a direct link to the petition as well as some useful information or they can go to whitehouse.gov and go to We the People and find a petition regarding the Rockefeller Initiative they need to do three things one they need to click on the petition and if they don't already have an account if they already do and they've signed before they should be able to sign it in about two seconds if not they have to create an account click on create an account you will give your first and last name and your email address. They will publish your first name, last initial. If you want, you can add your city, state, city, and country. Remember, anybody in the world can can uh, sign this petition if they have an email address. And just as in many other instances that we've all done, they get back an email from the White House instantly, immediately, with a verification link they have to click and a password they have to use to log back in and sign the petition. The site is twitchy, it doesn't work well with Chrome, where the letter Firefox works best with Internet. Sometimes you have to clear your cookies. They don't make it easy, but, what can I say? but usually it goes smooth. Millions of people have signed. So we need people to go and sign this petition. Then we need them to spread the link, the direct link, and, uh, and, and particularly the link to disclosurepetition.info to 10, 20, 100, 300 other people. And then if you're really feeling rambunctious, use the feedback section at WE the people and send a little respectful note to the White House saying, I've signed. Is this important? We expect the proper response from the White House. Thank you very much. That's what we need you to do. If we can get enough people to do that, we will get 25K by March the 24th. We will get another response from the White House, and it's going to be very, very interesting. And now, I'll read this, and I'll take any questions. I want to read to you the draft letter, a draft of the letter that Feller had spent that time to get to the president. We don't have confirmation that he received a formal letter he probably did uh but we have not been able to obtain a copy of the formal letter from the presidential library i say we i mean grant cameron but did he read this draft oh yes i would i think it's 99.9 percent that he read this draft at some point point. and this draft is a beautiful two-page letter it has the key issues in it it is well written it is so ahead of its time, remember, this is written and drafted as its point in early, uh, well, it was written, actually, put out in late 95. And I invite your listeners to listen carefully, because if you, if you can, you can almost see the light at the end of the tunnel. Here is the letter to the President from Lawrence Rockefeller. Dear President Clinton, regarding lifting secrecy on information about extraterrestrial intelligence... Mr. President, let me say why I believe the above subject is so important. For some time, I have been interested in the possibility of expanding man's spiritual and intellectual potential. We must fulfill more of our human potential if we are to cope with the increasingly difficult problems which now challenge our quality of life and our very survival. In my view... To achieve this greater potential, it is essential to accelerate the recognition of a new paradigm of consciousness, which recognizes the oneness of mind, body, and spirit. One possible evidence of a new paradigm of consciousness would be the discovery of the existence of extraterrestrial intelligence. Of course, we must continue to deal primarily with problems on our own planet, however, I have come to believe that the question of whether there is life elsewhere in the cosmos is of great significance. The implication for science, religion, and human potential are enormous. If life does exist elsewhere, we may learn much that will help us here. Your initiative to bringing greater openness to government, the current review of the classification of government documents to eliminate unnecessary secrecy, offers a very significant opportunity to advance our knowledge of this question. This letter is to request that as part of this reassessment you personally and specifically direct a review of current government information policy concerning extraterrestrial intelligence, ETI, including unidentified flying objects, UFOs. It is widely believed that various agencies of the federal government have substantial information concerning the existence or non existence of UFOs and that such information may have been unnecessarily withheld from the public is classified for reasons of national security. If this information does exist and if it were released, it would be received as evidence of a new spirit of partnership between government and its citizens. Current classification review is a good step. However, Mr. President, from past experience, there is reason to believe that if there is information being held by federal agencies about and UFOs, It will not be released in a meaningful way without your personal initiative. This is to urge you to expand and accelerate the important movement towards openness you have initiated. We suggest you consider the following steps be taken now. Direct the information about ETI and UFOs be given priority in the current classification view. Appoint a coordinator for government information about ETI and UFOs to bring together information from all federal agencies involved such as the Department of Defense, the Air Force, NASA, the CIA, and other parts of the intelligence community. Your science advisor, Jack Gibbons, might well be the right person for this role. And three, make it known through federal agencies, such as those named above, that credible witnesses having information about ETI or UFOs will be granted amnesty from relevant oaths or other government constraints. These steps, I respectfully suggest, would further not only the cause of scientific inquiry and knowledge, but also that of public confidence in government and international goodwill. The timing is particularly propitious because, as our first post-Cold War president, you have an opportunity to take this important step without many of the national security constraints that have limited government candor with the American people in the past. interested in concerned citizen, I stand ready to assist in whatever I can do that you might find useful. Sincerely, Lawrence S. Rockefeller to the Honorable William J. Clinton, the President of the White House Washington, D.C. And it included, and would have included attached, the Executive Summary of High Flying Objects Briefing Document, the best available evidence by Don Berliner Berliner with Mary Galbraith and Antonio Anais, presented by KUFO on December 1995. So there you have it. Mm. Right? Bill Clinton could have been the disclosure president. He came under massive attack. He was bottled up and constrained. He was impeached. He stuck in the office. But because of unfortunate personal failings, particularly with respect to abuse, I think, of his position, particularly with respect to Lewinsky, his ability to possibly pursue this was... um, negate And more importantly, he almost certainly with that behavior cost Al Gore the opportunity to be president and possibly be the disclosure president. Major history covered by the news, not at all. Nothing, nada, zero, Nietzschevo, nine, bupkis. However, this whole issue is now back to life. It sits on the White House website right now, waiting 25,000 signatures.
2: And I, I can't help but l- go back to a line uh, in one of the letters you read before, where I talked about how it would go a long way to uh, making the, the American people trust the government, and, and that's something that's needed now. And
0: what's happened since this letter was written? Trust in government has plummeted to all-time lows. Absolutely. It's practically off the scale. It's down around 10% for Congress. Right now, the American people wouldn't pour Congre- water on Congress if they found it on fire. Uh, the political process has become rancid. Useless, locked up, nasty, ugly, vile, offensive, even. And the election we're about to uh, partake in has already been underway, the campaigns of which for like seven months will be the most expensive election in the history of the human race by any country at any time, even adjusted for inflation in 2012. It's going to cost billions.
2: And, it, it and what doesn't... will we
0: get? Hard to say, but I don't think we'll get the truth, not without the public stepping forward. So, we got uh, anybody got any questions uh, in your audience
2: there? Well, we can throw open the phone lines. We have about 10 minutes left in the show. Let's go for it. The numbers are 508 996 0500, 996 1420. You can put questions in the chat room on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com or email us, SpookyCrew at com. Yeah, there's been, a co-
1: there's been a couple of. Uh questions that they've had in here, like uh, a lot of people wanting to know w- who's watching over the people in the Freedom of Information Act, you know, security people. Why aren't they they being checked to see if, the, you know, double checked, why aren't there more people looking in to see if there really are other documents type of
0: thing? Well, so, more, more Freedom of Information Act requests have been made on the subject of UFO than any other subject, period. And, again, the government has total control over what it releases. And so, overall, they produced not much, but there have been some documents uh, that have been useful. There have been some mistakes. There's also been a huge amount of redaction. So, it's uh, case Grant,
1: of, I was going to say, it's the case of the rat watching the cheese factory.
0: Well, it's just the case the government has, the, the act does not really put that much pressure on the government, really, to, to release anything it doesn't want to release. I mean, it's, it's kind of a ruse. It may feel like you can get it, but you really can't. I mean, they'll really something they don't care. But if it's really important, and they don't want it out. It ain't coming out. Um, but people have tried. The, the part is, is that Grant Cameron got lucky. I mean, maybe he didn't get lucky, but he, he scored a major hit in in 2000. And let me just give you some background on this. The OSP could have been under the Presidential Records Act, in which he couldn't have filed an FOI. It would have it would have had to come out through the library years later. Uh, but for whatever reason, the OSTP was exempted from the Records Act, and thus was accessible by FOIA, uh, and he got those documents. And he got them in 2000. Uh, in 2000. One of the first things Bush did when he came into office in 2001 was to shove the OSPP under the Presidential Records Act. Interesting. And then he passed a directive making it even harder to get stuff from the presidential libraries under that act. Interesting. One of the first things Obama did when he became president was to pull the OSTP back out from under. You see the little show game is being played here? Uh, but in any event, I, we we've, you know plenty of, of FOIs have been filed. Um, uh, so we've done the best we can. If the press wanted to jump into this and really push it, uh, that would do the trick.
2: There is a question uh, from our Facebook page from Meg wanting to know if there are plans to change the petition or maybe draft a future petition that would ask for the release of witness reports. And, uh, you know, again, you're you're limiting uh, this disclosure petition, too, to try to get direct answers out of the government. But is is it possible that somewhere down the line you will get them to release all the documents and all the information? That well, I have.
0: mean, that, that was that was stated in the first disclosure petition. Mm-hmm. And they kind Look, of danced, each they danced of these around pet- that. Yeah, each of these petitions are being carefully crafted, to drive the process forward, and their target is primarily the political media, the big shots, the big reporters, the editors, the papers, the networks, the cable stations, all that stuff. Um, that, you know, there probably will be a third petition, whether or not this petition, um, makes it to 25K or not, uh, and it will be carefully thought through to, Again, go after the White House statement of November the 4th that there's no evidence at all for any of this. Uh, and, and even more, there's no evidence the government hiding anything, which is the funniest part of that. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's really amusing. Um, so, yeah, but I, I can't say at this point, and, and I'm not going to worry about it, I mean, but the, the total focus on this, I mean, hundreds of hours have already been put into this. Sure, uh, Everything that TRG can throw at it is being thrown at it. If you go to disclosurepetition.info and go to the, you can go look at a lot of the YouTube videos that have been generated already. They're out there promoting it, and see some of the early media coverage. You can also see the interview schedule, PRG, uh, and, and you know which in, which includes links to the archived interviews that have been done, most most of them are archived, and also the interviews that are coming up. Uh, and then there have been international press releases, numerous ones that have been sent out. More will go out. Uh, and of course, uh, PRG has a substantial Facebook presence. Has seven Facebook pages and belongs to about two hundred groups. These are being heavily posted. We're doing the best we can. Uh, I, on the day that the the uh, the thing was launched, well, it wasn't an accident. I waited to launch the petition until I was slotted to be uh, on Coast to Coast, Nori, right. audience of several million. And uh, so that was the day we launched the petition, and then I, I had a full hour to kind of get into it that night. Um, what can I say? I mean, there were several million people listening to that show. I I can't imagine why 200,000 of them wouldn't have been signing that petition immediately. Uh, they know more about this issue than probably any group in the world, um, but uh, they haven't done so yet.
2: Well, uh, okay. well, hold on, uh, and this might be a loaded question with only a couple of minutes left here, but yeah. is it possible that 200,000 people did go onto the website and sign the petition and something no. is, is keeping no. that from being the case?
0: Uh, no, because the the signatures are put up there right away. So when you sign it and you, you go there, it, it, you just reload. It shows your signature right there at the top. So if people were doing that, they, they would have instantly known there had been complaints all over the place. The, the, the site has been difficult to deal with. It's, it's never really worked totally smoothly. It's not like setting up an account with Time Warner Cable or AT&T uh, or some of the big commercial accounts or Amazon. Uh, it's a huge project, millions of signatures, millions of petitions, and, and they, they have been tweaking that site off and on. And a lot of people have had problems, no question. We've gotten lots of complaints, but there have been millions of signatures. Uh, we know that it has it doesn't work well with the Chrome browser it's not thrilled with the Firefox browser it works best with the internet we know that sometimes if you've logged in before or failed you need to clear your cookies and go back in it shouldn't be that way but it is um, and uh, while most people will be able to log in sign it and, in, a, in a minute or two some have problems and all I can say is keep at it keep trying um, you know the truth takes a little bit of effort right. you'll know, get those
2: for free well uh, Steve Bass is our guest and uh, and of course you can go to the website disclosurepetition.info you can also follow along with all the information that comes out of paradigmresearchgroup.org both are linked up to spookysouthcoast.com as well 4,927 signatures on the site right now let's get that up to 5,000 at least uh, over the next few minutes as we go off the air Steve thank you so much for joining us and and hopefully this reaches the 25,000 we'll keep an eye on it we'll keep spreading the word
0: I really appreciate it Uh, great interview and I appreciate your support Right, we'll thanks. talk again
2: soon. Take care. Bye-bye. That is Stephen Bassett, Exopolitics uh, activist, and you can check out his website again, paradigmresearchgroup.org, but the important site to go to is disclosurepetition.info. We're going to keep it up on spookysouthcoast.com until the March 25th, March 24th uh, deadline to get the 25,000 signatures. So spread the word. Spread it on Twitter. Spread it on Facebook. Uh, tell everybody to sign it. It only takes a few seconds, and you'll be doing your part to help get this information out there all right we're gonna have to go for tonight uh, but we'll be back next week when our guest will be dr kirby surprise we're going to be talking about synchronicity so i'm excited because that means i get to play my favorite police song of all time <laughs> so uh we'll be back then so until next week for matt moniz for matt costa for chris balzano i'm tim weisberg and we want you all to stay spooktacular